speak.studio. Hi, I'm Abby, and this is We Have Notes, a podcast for the pop culture obsessed and the people who love them. And what what a week it has been in pop culture. I've never felt so alive. I mean, this is like the kind of visceral feeling I get when like Harry or Taylor does something big. And, you know, and then I, I always say it like feels like I just did a bunch of coke and or as we would call it in this in this time of Vanderpump Rules news cycle domination pasta. It's not about the pasta. Um, I. A. OK, first and foremost, there is dedicated Daisy Jones content coming out of We Have Notes. <laughs> In the newsletter, here on this podcast, um, let me just say the first three ups are out as of this recording. I am recording this on Wednesday at around 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. And I should say that because literally news keeps breaking every two seconds out of Vanderpump land. But we're going to get to that in a second. Um, But Daisy Jones, I loved the first three episodes. I cannot stop listening to the album. It's already like in my top played albums of the year. Um, I listen to Look at Us Now probably like a worrisome amount of times every day. Like like so many times. Um, but yeah, so stay tuned. Don't worry. Haven't forgotten. But everything's spun off its axis. <laughs> since last Friday. Um, so that's that's what we just had to cover it. It's just, you know, that like a breaking news situation. Um, I There's a couple places in the newsletter or on, on the Substack, I guess I should say, where you can, where I've done some content already. There was an initial post kind of breaking down the scandal, which we're going to do a little bit, the scandal. We're going to do a little bit here but don't want to completely repeat myself. So there's a there's a post from Saturday and then there's a post from earlier this week that was like 21 questions. I scanned of all questions I had. Some some may have been answered, some have not, you know. Still a little unclear if Sheena punched punched Raquel. Um does Raquel have that shaky voice when she records sexy videos to send to Sandoval? I don't know. Um, how mad was Stasi? you know, that this overshadowed her, her second baby announcement. Well, a lot of things. So you can see that that's all on, we have notes.substack.com. And okay. So this is just this, we have a really fun episode today that has nothing to do with Vanderpump rules. My friend Maggie Bullock is here to talk about J crew and her new book about the brand called the kingdom of prep. It's such a fun conversation. We get into, you know, the nineties era, the first like, cultural impact of of J Crew and then obviously through on through like the Jenna Lyons era and and everything else. So it's it's really interesting. And Maggie's book is so good. So I can't wait for you to hear that. But we gotta we gotta talk about Vanderpump rules. So I truly this is like one of the greatest stories that's ever happened. And I feel terrible for Ariana, but 
that's about it. Otherwise, it's like this story is bringing people together. It's forging new friendships. People are revisiting old friendships. Um, it's it's just great. It's just so great. So so here's here's what happened. Tom Sandoval, who's one of the OGs on Vanderpump Rules, it came out that he has been having a rather long-term affair. It seems like it's allegedly like six plus months with this woman, Raquel, who's also on the show. And we'll get into a little like all the the web here. Um, He was cheating on his very long-term girlfriend of like nine plus years, Ariana who is probably the coolest girl on the show. She's like the one that you're like, oh, I could actually, we could actually be friends. Like I could totally see myself like hanging out with her. She's smart. She's cool. Um, What I need her to do is immediately leave that shoddily built, but not cheap um, quote unquote modern farmhouse or whatever the fuck is happening in Valley village that she was living in. Um, They all bought these houses in Valley village. But that she's been living in with Tom and I need her to get to like Los Feliz, Silver Lake, Echo Park immediately and start thriving in her new life. But this, this story has rocked the Bravo verse and beyond. I know people who didn't watch, who don't watch the show, um, are feeling really left out and are trying to catch up. And like, I understand because it's, um, as one friend said to me, the energy coming off the internet was palpable and still is. So Tom Sandoval, there's two Toms on the show, Sandoval and Schwartz, the Toms. They have Tom Tom, that bar in West Hollywood. Um, and this other place, Schwartz and Sandy's, that currently the episode's airing on Bravo right now. They are trying to get this Schwartz and Sandy's place open, and they're morons, so they're, they're bad at it. Um, so Tom Sandoval starts the show. He's dating Kristen who's no longer on the show anymore, but is now back to relevancy. All these people are. This new story, you know, rising tide lifts all ships kind of situation. So he was with Kristen. They broke up. Again, watch early seasons of Vanderpump. It's some of the best that we have to offer in reality television. And then there may have been some overlap with Ariana. like, ugh. But then he and Ariana have been together. Kristen went on to date in terms of cast members, DJ, DJ James Kennedy, who is also still on the show. They eventually break up. DJ James, James Kennedy, who used to refer to himself as the white Kanye, um, he was dating this girl, Raquel. And that's how she came to be on the show. And her name is actually Rachel. And I do enjoy that everyone on the internet has just started calling her Rachel instead of Raquel. So they were together. They got engaged. Tom Sandoval helped pay for their engagement party. They break up right before the reunion last season. And now the show is back. And... So they're not together, but Raquel's still on the show. Tom Sandoval's still on the show. James is still on the show. Tom Schwartz is still on the show, now divorced from Katie, who he had been dating from the beginning of the show. Then they got married. They got married on the show and are now divorced. Katie is still on as well. There's been all these rumors in the episodes we're currently watching and drama around, like, is Schwartz going to make out with Raquel? Raquel has a crush on Schwartz, da-da-da. Katie's like, please don't fuck in our friend group, blah, 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 blah. Well, now I think some all of that might have been a smokescreen because it really turns out that Tom Sandoval and Raquel have been having this affair. 
And this news cycle is going so fast that this is the second time I had to record this intro because I did it yesterday and like too many things happened. So we'll get to Tom and Raquel have both released apologies now. Tom has released two of them. Um, And Raquel was also like sending off letters from her lawyers about Ariana allegedly discovered this was happening because she saw uh, something pop up on Tom's phone. And it was like a, allegedly like a sexy video from Raquel, a.k.a. Rachel. And so I guess she got attorneys to send out letters that were like, you can't share this because it's like revenge porn laws and blah, 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 which like fine. Uh, there's a reason those laws exist. And she had these sent to like all the cast members. And the thing is that no one was I've I've been so deep in this story online. No one was even claiming to have a copy of this video or and there was never nary a whiff of it online. So um, if you Raquel is not um, super bright um, and, you know, and that's not why we watch this show. But she is someone I have not enjoyed at all. I find her like devoid of charm. Um, she is not funny or interesting in absolutely any way. And I don't even think she's that pretty. So I, I, which is not like a moral judgment. It's just, but the moral judgment is like, you were fucking your friend's, um, boyfriend. And Ariana was like really nice to her. Like it's, ugh, it's so gross. It's so gross. But so Lala, who is a complicated figure as well. I mean, all of these people are complicated um, in terms of their messiness. But she put she put out this Instagram story. I'm going to try to play a clip here about how this bullshit like email she got from like Raquel's lawyer. And she goes off and it's with like, send it to Daryl. Raquel? Tell your little Mickey Mouse lawyer that if he has stuff to send over, he can send things to my lawyer. Same with the rest of my friends and cast. All right. I've never in my life had a lawyer contact me in my personal email. All right. I don't know if you know how this works. I know you're pretty brand new to the game. Didn't last long. Look what you did with your fucking 15 minutes. You have something to send over. You can send it to my lawyer. That's why we have counsel. Okay? I don't want to deal. I have a life going on. Got a little baby to take care of. I don't want to see that in the morning. I don't want to see that ever. Send it to Daryl. So immediately after we saw this, one of my group chats on this matter, and there are many... Uh, my friend Alyssa renamed it our group to send it to Daryl. So shout out to all of them. They have been like my lifeblood lately. And two members of that group and I are recording on Friday about this matter. So we'll get that episode up as soon as we can. Very excited about it. So then by this morning, Lala had sent it to Daryl merch. And so I, of course, bought a sweatshirt, obviously. And then this morning, I was also saying, I think Katie and Ariana are going to start selling merch to subsidize and fund their sandwich shop that they've been trying to open. And they're both wronged by these idiot Toms. And um, guess what? They are. And I think they're going to thrive. 
And I think these other two are donezo. But okay, so these apologies came through. Now, Tom Sandoval released one over the weekend that was very focused on um, his business, Schwartz and Sandy's, and the other people who work there. And I think people were leaving a lot of like nasty Yelp comments because on on Schwartz and uh, also comments on like their Instagram posts and stuff. Um, and he was like, you know, it's bigger. Please direct your anger. He also spells your you are that's your not your he's your that's why I say it like that but like your the word your y-o-u-r he's spelling it your that is just a red flag and like absolutely not like why can't you just spell the word your like why why but no all throughout this it's you are and also he does I I'm but with no apostrophe and I'm like I just not a, like expect this guy to have great grammar but like come on and he's like, just like Tom, Tom, I'm a small part of a bigger thing. Please direct your anger towards me and not them. They did nothing wrong. I'm so sorry that my partner, you know, blah, blah, blah. Never mentions Ariana at all in this first apology. And everyone was like, oh, fuck you. And also I was like, did he just, he just basically like typed that up, read it to Schwartzy on his couch and hit post. Now then at like 10 p.m. Pacific time, which, like, I mean, none of these people have good publicists or attorneys. He does a whole new one. Now, he still has the old one up. But this one, I guess, to make up for it, he says Ariana's name, like, about 3,000 times. I want to first and foremost apologize to everyone I've heard through this process. Process? You mean the affair you had where you were fucking someone else? Most of all, I want to apologize to Ariana. I made mistakes. I was selfish and made reckless decisions that hurt somebody I love. No one deserves to feel that pain so traumatically and publicly. I can only imagine how devastating this has been for Ariana and everyone around us. I feel really horrible about that. My biggest regret is that I dishonored Ariana. I never meant to disappoint so many people, including our loving families and friends. My love for Ariana was stronger than any camera could have ever captured. Ugh, barf. Some of our best times together were never filmed. The same goes for some of our biggest struggles. I wish things happened in a different order and our relationship was not severely tarnished and that it ended with the same respect with for her that it began. Okay. I owed Ariana better. I am beyond sad that it ended the way it did, which, I mean, you, you did this. Um, the choices I made hurt so many people. I acted in a way that clashes with who and how I want to be. I mean, we've got a lot of evidence to the contrary, my friend, on video over the past many, many years. Uh, I will continue to reflect and work on myself. I have work to do. I always have and always will. Tom. <sighs> Whatever. these. Pe I mean, like, I think the business is fucked. Everything's fucked. And, like, you can't – and also the thing is, like, the whole business is predicated on your personalities. Like, that's – it's not like there's great food and, like – you know, the drinks are probably better than the food because Sandoval was a bartender, but like, and I've heard he makes a good cocktail, but um, yeah, then that's why people aren't going to go because they think you're a piece of shit. And that's, you know, free market. Now, Raquel then um, earlier today released her apology and she's first sent it. It is now on her Instagram, but it was first sent to Entertainment Tonight as if it is... A period of time, like, 
I said to one of my friends, I was like, it's not like it's 1985 and this show is relevant. Um, to which she replied, yeah, LOL. Okay, Mario Lopez. Like, and this apology made my eyes roll back in my head so far. Oh, okay. So here we go. I want to apologize for my actions and my choices foremost to Ariana. Okay, that's they're both using foremost, which I'm sure neither of them can properly use in a sentence all alone. Anyway, foremost to Ariana and to my friends and the fans so invested in our relationships. There is no excuse. I am not a victim and I must own my actions and I deeply regret hurting Ariana. Now, she's not a victim, but she's about to lay out a different case here. I am reflecting on my choices, speaking to a counselor. Sidebar, who calls it a counselor? You're not at school. Do you, do you have a therapist? Did you get a therapist? Is that what happened? <sighs> speaking to a counselor, and I am learning things about myself, such as my patterns of codependency and addiction to being and feeling loved. I have sought emotional validations, validation through intimate connections that are not healthy without regard for my own well-being, sometimes negatively affecting others and often prioritizing the intimate connection over my friendships. I am taking steps to understand my behavior and make healthier choices. She did not write this. And also, did she learn all of this since Friday? It's in a great therapy, great counseling. Ugh. Um, although I chose to be on a reality show, accepting the good and bad that comes with it beyond my own actions, I have been physically assaulted, lost friendships, received death threats and hate emails in addition to having had my privacy violated. Now, I don't think anyone's sending her emails at all. I don't think anybody should ever send anyone death threats. That's fucking stupid. Obviously, that's stupid. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of negativity toward her on the internet, and she should just not be on the internet right now. Um, but like, hate email? Who's sending her hate email? Who has her email address? What's she talking about? <sighs> okay. Anyway, I have begun counseling to end my unhealthy behavioral cycle, learn to set stronger emotional boundaries, and learn to protect my mental health. I don't expect sympathy, understanding, or forgiveness. Right now, I must focus on my own health and well-being, and as I strive to be a better person moving forward, I will prioritize my mental health and learn from my mistakes. Okay. Like, yes, we should all prioritize our mental health, and I think everyone should have a therapist. But... What we're not going to do is turn Raquel into, like, she's not getting a mental health platform out of this. You were fucking your friend's boyfriend for seven months or more, possibly. Like, there's not really a gray area on that. And I'm sure this is taking a toll on her mental health. And I think having an affair does, too. But I mean, like, that's, we're, she's, we're not giving her a platform on this. Like, she should just peace off the internet for now. She should just, like... Like, just don't be on the internet. I don't, don't be on the show anymore. I, I don't know. I, it, it, but I want to watch every episode now that's already been filmed, like, and analyze it like it's the Zapruder film. So I guess I do want her on the show, whatever, you know, but it's just like, ugh, this is such, it's like a load of bullshit. And if she would have said something real, I think, I think she's still f- like fucked. But, like, at least she would have sounded real. This is nonsense. And if you watch the show, this is not, like, anything that she would say out of her mouth. So just eye roll upon eye roll upon eye roll. But 
so the show they've already like they already filmed the show for the season. Um, so now we're going to be like watching everything and like looking for clues and like looking for things because apparently these two like were wearing fucking matching lightning bolt necklaces as if don't even try to pretend like you that's like paper airplane necklaces like Harry and Taylor had as referenced on Out of the Woods on 1989 in Out of the Woods on 1989. And then because Bravo. And their production teams are the best. They pulled it together and started filming again this weekend and got people's reactions on camera. And like Lisa Vanderpump, by the time you listen to this, will have been on Watch What Happens Live. I guess Jax is coming back to Watch What Happens Live. Like Jax is relevant again. It's it's a lot. There's so much happening. So that's where we're at right now. This changes by the minute. And again, recording an episode about this soon so we'll get into some even like more more conversations about it but i i mean this is this is the biggest story of of the day of the week one of the biggest stories of our time as far as i'm concerned and it's all i want to talk about it's all i've been talking about it's the only it's 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 revitalized the franchise certainly um yeah so check out there's more on we have notes.substack.com thank you for listening to me ramble like this I promise I did not do any drugs. It's just this is this is the natural high. Um, and now we're going to switch gears <laughs> and talk about one of the most iconic, you know, American brands you could think of, J. Crew. Its impact on the culture in so many ways, so many cool stories that my friend Maggie um, learned and writes about in reporting and researching her book, which is which is out now, and you can you can get it wherever you buy your books, the kingdom of prep, but we're going to, we're getting into all of that. So enough Vanderpump for now. Let's trans- transition into a J crew space. Uh, and we'll be right back. This week's guest and I go back to our days in print magazines, and it's truly such a great joy and honor to have her on. We have notes this week. I have always been an incredible admirer of her work and also think she's just a fantastic person, too. So um, while Maggie Bullock now currently works as a freelance writer and editor, she started her career at Vogue and then worked at Elle for many, many years. And she's also contributed to tons of other amazing publications like New York Mag, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic. And this week, her first book, The Kingdom of Prep, The Inside Story of the Rise and Near Fall of J. Crew, is out. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's such a good conversation. I love it so much. Um, but the book is a fabulous read. It really took me back in time to pivotal cultural and fashion moments, but also taught me a lot about the, the behind the scenes of like how those came to pass that, that I didn't know um, and was totally riveted by. Along with all of that, Maggie is also the co-founder of The Spread, which you can find on Substack, and I think will be of great interest to many of you who listen to this podcast. Um, Every week, she and a fellow L alum, Rachel Baker, find the best articles out on the internet for, by, about women, and round them up for you, give their takes, some commentary. Um, It's super well done and really fun and funny and interesting. Um, it's just a great curation. So go to the spread.media to subscribe to that. So generally speaking, Maggie is awesome. And I hope you love this conversation as much as I do. 
So please welcome Maggie Bullock to We Have Notes. Hey, Abby. Good to see you. This is so fun. I know. I love um, one of the things I love about have loved about doing the podcast is it's like reconnected me with some of our like, I mean, there's some people that I talk to all the time, but some people that I don't see. And so it's nice to reconnect with kind of our our magazine roots. Totally. And I have found our magazine's roots to be so welcoming. And I feel really good about that. Like I've been in a book writing slash pandemic hole for three years and I'm coming out of it now. And it feels like, oh, there you are. Hello. Let's talk about this. It's really actually warm and fuzzy and and great. It's so nice. We did have a good, we had a good time and you were, you were in magazines longer than I was, but so okay, so your this book is coming out. It's about J. Crew. How how do you describe the book to people? Because I feel like there's a lot happening in there. It's all really interesting. It's a really great read. Oh, thank you. Well, it's hard to describe briefly, and also I'm not a woman of few words. Um, but I would say <laughs> I could probably work on this talking point. But it's the life story of J. Crew. But it's really trying to tell the story of something much bigger through the life story of J. Crew which is the history of American prep and what that means in our society and why these clothes carry a certain amount of weight. And also like 40 years of retail history, which I know sounds like homework, but it's sort of like the history of how we shop and it like, and what we want and how that changed over time. And J crew is just a really, it turned out in my research that J crew is just a really good, example a way to tell that story in a way that we can all relate to because it's a brand many of us followed so closely right so it it makes it kind of it's it's like a the spoonful of sugar for a business story and that business is the business of us like consuming our clothes and our identities yeah I found it it was such a it really was like a page turner. I mean, it was reading a PDF, so technically wasn't turning the page, <laughs> it was but like you know clicker? what I mean. <laughs> yeah, like scrolling. Um, but because I don't, I don't read a ton of like business books. But this didn't feel like a, it felt like so relatable because I think our retail experience is so wrapped up in J. Crew, and like I was just saying, like especially like I think a lot of people who listen to this show are like elder millennial and gen x and and younger people too though which is awesome but I think there's like a core and so that it like was so definitive to my kind of like early to mid 90s high right, school experience right. totally and then again to I was telling you like it made me so nostalgic for then when we get into like the Jenna Lyons era of that time in New York um and I was working at Fashionista and like all those things. So I feel like we have these connection points and you remember the catalogs. You remember when the stores opened. You remember like it's all there. And so learning how that came to be was fascinating. To me. Yeah, the way in which it's super generational, generationally specific is so funny to me. Like um, just in terms of like now I'm reaching out to editors and do you want to write about my book or whatever? And so the, I can tell that it like the story, the early part of the J crew story resonates with a complete, like with one segment <laughs> of an audience, yeah. which luckily is in a pretty powerful media. Position yes. Now, but well, we're making, we're like, decision makers now. <laughs> yeah. Luckily they nice. get to say, yeah, we can cover your book. Yeah. But also like, it's really funny because when you reach out to like younger millennials, they really don't know that there was a J crew before Jenna Lyons. Honest to God, they don't know that. And, um, 
which is great. I mean, like it's a story that they don't know already, but like to me, that's amazing because the J crew of the nineties was like very much, I mean, I write about this in the book a little bit. It's not a book about me, but the J crew of the nineties was very much embedded in my ideas of like class and status and being in versus being out. So like to talk to somebody who only knew it as the kind of, um, like Michelle Obama and forward era yeah. J crew where it's spangly and it's mix and match and it's free to be you and me. You know, I'm like, wow, yeah. that is just a totally different brand than the one that initially imprinted on me. Ex- exactly the same for me. And because that, and, and all of the, I wish I had all of that nineties, like minimalist yeah. stuff yeah. still like you can look at. And, and I think that's what's, you know, what's fascinating about J crew. And I did not know as much of the story of like Emily and Arthur who, you know, and the, the original foundation of the company. I mean, I saw the output of it, but I didn't know like who was making those decisions. I was like, these catalogs are beautiful. And I was like a, and then as a teenager who was obsessed with magazines and wanted to work in magazines, there's something so it's, I mean, and you get into a lot of this, it's, it's not catalog. Right. Like what we knew it to be. So can you talk a little bit about that? that, And like, I found Emily so fascinating, the daughter of the founder. uh, And and she was a young woman running this company at a time when, or making big decisions for this company at a time when that really wasn't happening in fashion. Can you tell me a little bit about like what you discovered about Emily and like her absolutely spot on instincts in a lot of ways. Yeah. So too. you're going to have to just stop me because I could talk about Emily forever. And I feel <laughs> yeah. like Emily, she's fascinating. <laughs> Emily in some way is the core of why I wanted to write this book because so just my history with the book is in 2019, I wrote a piece for Vanity Fair called, and they, the title says it all. The title was J who question mark because the brand was lost and it, it was so confusing, like how this kind of golden brand had because yeah. so diluted, it had no point of view, nobody wanted anything. So that was that story. But in reporting that story, I was like, I learned that there was this founding family, uh, the senators, Emily and Arthur Senator, and they started the company. He actually started it and she came in very, very early on. So I consider them co-founders. Technically, yeah. he founded it. And um, in 1983, um, and it was like a uh, it, it was in New Jersey. I mean, there was nothing preppy about the origins of this family. I mean, of this family business, I should say. And um, Emily came in. She was fresh out of college. She was 21 when she joined the company. And she was like of the generation that they were trying to embody, right? She was never yeah. really a preppy, actually. But she no. had this like very minimalist um refined like naturally refined some people thought it was really yeah. boring taste you know in the same way that lots of people think j crew is really boring and they've always thought it right. was really boring like lots of people thought emily's style was nothing to write home about but it turns out that's the way a lot of people wanted to dress and she just sort of yeah. inherently dressed that way and so i loved the I mean, again, I could go on forever, but one of the things I really loved was the parallel between like, so in the, in the 2010s, we all thought Jenna Lyons was like the human embodiment of this brand, right? Yeah. We thought, if you thought about J. Crew, you immediately pictured Jenna Lyons and vice versa. Yeah. And so I just thought it was so 
spun that there was like a woman before Jenna Lyons that no one has ever yes. thought about or heard about who didn't want attention. Like that's the real difference. <laughs> that's the biggest difference. Yes. She wanted no attention drawn to herself, who was the human embodiment. And to the people who worked for Emily at J. Crew in the 80s and 90s, like Every the way she wore her clothes and the way she walked into the office and even the way she held herself was like their inspiration for this brand. Right. She never said, make it look like me, but the people who worked for her were vibing off of what she brought, right? And so Yeah. And so were the rest of us. We just never knew about her. I also think it's right. Like it's a funny thing in which like I keep saying J. Cruz, um, an example of so many different things. But one of those things is media. Like you were talking about magazines and like, so when Jenna came along or she'd been at the company a long time, but when she really hit it big right. was right at the dawn of the blog era and then soon street style. And so like there was a whole ecosystem into which she, like her rising star, like f- kind of collided with exact right yeah. moment in time. But if you think about it, like in the eighties and nineties, like we know we had no idea who worked at these massive brands. You didn't know those Absolutely people. Absolutely not. Right. Absolutely not. And how would you even find out? Like, unless you were literally in the industry. Right. And like, they weren't getting covered in the pages of L or, you know, like, you know, eventually, I know Emily did do some press eventually, but like, um, yeah, her like innate and I loved her kind of instinct in hiring people. Like she didn't, she could like spot, it seemed like from, from your reporting, like she could spot a talent and she'd be like, I know this person needs to be here and we're going to figure out like what they're going to do. Don't you love that? Which to me sounds, I love it. And there's something inherently female about it to me I don't know just having worked in the world for a long time I've seen that more in women than men like they're like I don't know but this person's got it and I'm gonna figure it we're gonna figure it out yeah and she seemed really really good at that yeah and and I think to a degree Jenna knew that too I mean I think they both they have different styles Mm -hmm literal like f- personal style but also they both seem to have a point of view right like a strong point of view that they were able to like cultivate like a- an office culture yeah around too. yeah I mean I think that's one of the things like there's a lot of um conflicts about Emily she's she's this but she's also that I'm not finding the the best way to put that but you know what I mean like she's she's a lot of different things they don't all line up in a neat little column um but one of them is that she is this sort of she does seem to have this like amazing talent radar and yeah like from very early on she's not very good at articulating the mission let's let's say that she doesn't bring them in and say this is where we're going with this company this is what i want you to do and like i brought you in for x y and z reason what she does is like zero in on them and somebody told me that i don't think i eat this even made it into the books but in the book but in the 90s she had like a wall in her office like a talent wall like almost like a casting agent and she had met with she had first of all she took j crew very seriously so she would meet with the highest people on the totem pole if she thought that they could be a fit or even if she just wanted to meet them 
right? Like she went one, she went looking for like John Varvatos when he was a young talent. She went looking for, she met with um, Simon Doonan, like a person whose right. aesthetic was never going to match up with J. Crew. But if there was somebody interesting in the industry, she wanted to meet with them and she could, she would also hire people when she didn't have a job for them or right. somebody could walk in and work in the men's design department and she could be like well you should really be doing store windows you know like it was just like she had almost like a kind of mystical ability and yeah for you and me like who i i don't know like this for me let me speak for myself that like coming um into my own in the magazine industry at a moment when i really felt like the industry was tanking right like this idea of this creative freedom for people to find Ugh. their right place in the business in the company and that you would hold on to them like even if you didn't yeah. have quite the right thing for them because you really valued them I'm like oh talk to me that sounds amazing oh it's like that's what I I think that's what we dream right, of right? right is like that what what you describe and what was the atmosphere that was happening at like J crew in that at, at that time and I think was also happening at a lot of magazines mm-hmm. at that time in different ways. Like it was like, yeah, go take this budget and do this shoot. And like, yeah. And they were, they were kind of like, they were just on They're like, we're going to make it happen and we're going to spend this money and we're going to, and it's, and it has to look exactly right. And it has to, I don't know. It, it, the creative freedom was very enticing to me. And it also was like, Oh, this made me miss even those like earliest days, like, like late nineties mm-hmm. when I was at Jane and ah, that Jane ooh. atmosphere was kind of like that. Cause it was also like, not, it almost felt like a startup, yeah. but like was funded by Fairchild. Yeah. So it didn't feel like we were going to go under every two seconds at that point. But like the way Jane ran the magazine was like, she had a really, she had a distinct point of view, but also she was like, yeah, I'm going to like, go do this thing. Like I'm going to, or if you're an assistant, like you have an idea, like run with right. it. Like it was that kind of atmosphere right. and it was so intoxicating. Yeah. Like to be a young person in New York, like, ah, like I, I was just like, oh man, the, that made me miss magazine shoots like that where you had like real budgets. Cause now even, even what is a real budget at a magazine yeah. shoot these yeah. days? Nothing like what it was like in the nineties. Yeah. And it all just feels so um, constrained now. And and yeah. there was a freedom. Like they never had a huge. I mean, at least in those early days, they didn't have yes. like a mammoth budget at J Crew. They were having to mine the till. You know, it wasn't just. Yes. But there was still a sense of like creative freedom. You know, and Emily, it it was really fun to hear these stories of Emily being like. 24 or something yeah. and running like the creative departments entirely and and having right. veto power and and she could green light a shoot in a destination on her own and they just went and did it you know kind of amazing and they did start this way of shooting too that sounds like Oh, so extravagant, oh, right? Like so heavenly. Oh, it just like oh. So they would go on these, all my like, pleasure centers. They would go on these shoots that would be like um. So they always had a destination, and they always and at every destination there were like activities. So they would go to I don't know um, Utah, and it would be skiing, and then there would be um, ice skating, and then there would be like cooking i'm saying utah who knows and then there would be like 
like making pancakes open over an open fire like right. so everything because the the people in the magazine were living this life they were just like standing there wearing their roll neck sweater they were trying to embody the roll neck sweater life which i feel like we see all the time in imagery now and so it's hard to appreciate that that just didn't exist before this and so they would like, and certainly not in a catalog i know a right catalog at all so they would book like a dozen models i mean and go off and these were all like 20 two-year-olds you know like the assistants and yeah. the photographers and everybody was like a bunch of kids and they yeah. told me that they would like stay in hotels and the people in the hotels would be like, so you claim you're here to do work? You know, like the people, the grownups running the hotels would yeah. be like, what's really happening here? And yeah. What like, is We're this? shooting for a catalog you've never heard of. It's called J. Crew. Um, anyway, it just like, it was a whole life. They had a whole life together. Yeah. Um, fast paced and really exhausting, but but a lot of freedom. And a lot of those people remember that as the best job they ever had. That's what I think about Jane. <laughs> um, it, it, um, it, it was so fascinating. And then to see kind of the evolution of like, then the catalog hits and it's like, okay, so that was coming through right to us to like teenage me by like 1990, 91, like, Oh yeah. Like I want to be like those people and like the, you know, the minimal makeup, the minimal hair. And then I thought, it was so great to – I remember that, Linda Evangelista. You do? Oh, oh absolutely. That's... Like, absolutely. But can you talk a little bit about – that was kind of a tur- like a big turning point in terms of, like, the brand being really taken seriously in a lot of in a lot Totally. Of that Linda Evangelista thing was a really big deal. So in 1989, Linda Evangelista was on the cover of the – a fall J. Crew catalog. And that doesn't sound like that big of a deal because at the time – I mean, you think of that era and you think of the supermodels were everywhere. But for a company like J. Crew, which was um, – First of all, there just wasn't a lot of mixing of high and low fashion at this point. So that was just a really big get. And I don't think that other, I think this is where you really saw the ambition of J. Crew coming through because you didn't, like other catalogs weren't trying to get Linda Evangelista, who by that time was already very famous. She was not like coming up and they happened to hit her, which they did with a lot of other models, but like they booked her at her peak, you know? So this was like a major get for them. And they did it very concertedly because they were trying to show that they had more gas in the tank. They could be, they could have a, a say in fashion. They could be fashion adjacent. Let's put it that way. You know, it was like they really yeah. wanted to prove something. Um, and at the time they had gone from, they were introducing, um, you know, like nine to five clothes. They had always been like right. campus clothes, weekend clothes, khakis, or they never call them khakis. It's a chino if it's from J. Crow. Chinos. Chinos yeah. and, <laughs> you know, t-shirts and like the whole weekend life. But they were making right. a major ambitious like grab at like a 24-hour life of this customer. And um, the way that they wanted to show that to the world was Linda Evangelista, but they couldn't really get her. And so there's a great story that I tell in the book. Um, You know, you know, Abby, that like when you book a big model or a big photographer, it's like a real chicken and egg scenario. Yeah. If you get the big model, you can likely get the big photographer 
or if you get the big photographer, you have a good a good shot of getting the big model. But like if you have yeah. neither, you have nothing. So right. and it's really hard to get one without the other. So yeah, it's a tricky, tricky booking situation. Exactly. So I mean, this feels like perhaps really inside baseball, but I could really like from my background, I could really appreciate the tension. Yes. So there's so this much. like, you know, new, like ballsy, ambitious photo director at J. Crew, and she's trying to get um she's trying to get Linda and the agent is just like, you know, holding her at bay, holding her at bay. So eventually somehow she got Linda's phone number on a yacht in Ibiza because like, right? perfect. I'm like, that's exactly where Linda was supposed with to her be boyfriend. Like, of course she was, <laughs> I had to look that up. And I think it was like this boyfriend who became like a very controversial figure, but I couldn't write about that in the book. Cause I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 But yeah, that yeah, basically the agent like, or the, the J crew photo person, like bugged Linda on her vacation until she said yes, like she, to get her off the phone, you know, she's like, okay, fine, yeah. I'll do it. So she calls Arthur Elgort, who is a legendary photographer, legend, legend, and a major Vogue photographer at the time. Yes, and I did actually get some El- Elgort images in the book in the photo insert, and that was like just oh, that's stick amazing. a fork in me. I'm done. I was like, I'm like, I, oh, I have like a chill. A I have a chill for you. Thing. That's like, oh, that's like magazine I know, nerd, magazine like nerds, photography right. nerd. <laughs> I got Arthur yeah. Elgort images. So, um. <laughs> I so she told Arthur Elgort's um person that she had Linda so like the chicken knows they have yeah. the egg but she doesn't really have Linda this is not like locked into a contract so there's this whole back and forth and she has to go to the agency I think it was elite and get them to sign the contract it's the 11th hour by this point Emily the boss of J crew has told her like give up it's not happening and she's like hell no I'm never giving this up and so they get them. They get it. Elgort shoots Evangelista. Again, for somebody who's not a magazine nerd, you might like, okay. But this changed their fate. Like they could feel yeah. that people took them seriously on a whole new in a whole new way. And was I love like, you know, when you're researching a project like this, like sometimes the the thread you can so, you, you suddenly see the thread pull through from one thing to another. Yeah. Because um at one point, Jenna was talking about, so she, Jenna came on board just like a year or so after that when she was a total newbie. And she talked about how the reason why she, so she had passed up on this big high paying or not high paying, this, yeah, uh, low paying, but prestigious job at Donna Karen, right? And it, which is something yeah. that no newbie designer would do. And she said that she wanted to come to J. Crew because she could see that they had this ambition for like dressing real women with real style. And part of that ambition was seeing people like Linda Evangelista on the cover of. So, like, it's hard to even know like how big of an, a ripple effect there was from that one cover because apparently from that moment on, it was not a challenge to book a big model to book like, right or or, or a photographer. A big star. Yeah, so they did they they were in the lane that they wanted to be in. And Linda, I will say that when I was a teenager in the nineties, Linda Evangelista was by far my favorite supermodel. So this just like <laughs> brought me full circle, baby. <laughs> I'm a I'm a Christ, oh, Christie's my girl. number one, but 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 that's but it, I mean Christie shows up too. Like I mean she it, did. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Christy Linda, did it Linda too. Linda was my number two, probably. <laughs> yeah, Christy did it too. Like, uh, Christy has so much J. Crew to me of that, t- like her own personal right. style. Even if you like right. look at her now, she looks like a '90s totally. J. Crew ad, yeah. like now. Um, but yeah, it's so that was so fascinating and that ripple effect, and then that you can tie it all the way to Jenna too. Like, it would Jenna have? I mean, it, yeah, who knows? Would, like, you don't know. Like, what sliding doors? It moment, really like, like I didn't think that much of this. Like, I thought maybe that was just like an internal phenomenon, right? Like, oh, they got Linda. Right. That was a really big deal for them. But it turned out that yeah, like other people actually did take them more seriously once that started. Once they got that, uh, you know, in fashion, yeah, it's something like it's, it's kind of amazing what will move the needle on your. It's- <laughs> Yeah, or and what exactly. won't you know so yeah um that was they it had a kind of magical effect for them well can i can you tell me a little bit about your research process because that's a nerdy thing that i oh, like sure. to get into too like how long like okay so you decide you're going to do this book and you don't know exactly like i think i can imagine like with with any kind of big story too you got to like do a lot of work before you kind of see yeah what it's going to yeah. become right you have to like do all that work first um so how like and then who did you start talking to first like how did that work for so you? um the timing was sort of uncanny because I sold the book well it came out of the Vanity Fair story that's how I started the right, project sure, right and somebody sure. I talked to somebody and they were like that sounds like a book and I was like it does like news yeah. to me we pitched uh the book in late January 2020 and okay. then the whole world fell apart. <laughs> and so I right. found myself with like the biggest project of my life. Um, right when I had no child care for my two children and like everything was in the. And, and it was scary. scary. And the world was the world weird. Was super yeah, weird. Yeah. Little did I know at that point that I would never get to meet some of these people that I, you know, like I was like, oh, we're shut down. I'll, I'll, t- I'll, we'll meet up in person in a couple of months. Uh, no, like we didn't right. know then. Um, I right. spent, I mean, it was lucky that I had the foundation from the Vanity Fair thing, but sure. um, it, it's funny to try and research a company from the pre LinkedIn era. Like, how the hell do you figure out who right. worked at J. Crew? You know, there was no press on it that yeah. that would have talked about that. Um, Arthur right. Senator, the the founder, co-founder, had passed away. And Emily is, I think it's fair to say, like a recluse. <laughs> or at least in terms of um, she lives like way under the radar in Connecticut with yeah. her husband, who is a co-founder of Nantucket Nectars. They both sold their companies. They're I imagine very comfortable in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, yeah. She is not a high visibility person. I mean, for an ex- for example, if you try to look her up, like there's almost no Google image of this woman. Like it's crazy. Um, and That's I didn't wild. really bother to know that before I had sold a book on this company. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> let's um, basically, I just it was like a, a backward, like daisy chaining back through time, like finding sure. somebody who worked there in '87 who remembered somebody from '85, you know. And um, I ended up interviewing. It's it's over a hundred. It's well over a hundred people, wow. mostly. J. Crew people 
also industry people, a lot of photographers, sure. um, you know, a- like analysts <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it was necessary because if you think about like who's – I did not have a co-founder being like, come into my house and I will tell you the story of this company – what I had right. to do was cobble together the story of this company from as many people who would speak to me as possible. And I don't mind saying too that the Vanity Fair thing, which was not um it wasn't totally flattering to J. Crew. Sure. It certainly did yeah. not open up the doors wide open of like J. Crew corporate to because they kind of knew right. like before I ever started writing the book, like what kind of book this would be, which is, I mean, you've read it. It's, it's, it is largely an appreciation of J. Crew, but it's not an. Sure, but it's, it's yeah, fair. It's, it's, it's independently fair. reported. And if there's yeah. juice there, I'm here to find it and talk about it. So, you know, um, it was, but, but people love to talk about their stories from this company, right? So, you know, I just had to find those people and then start talking to them. And I always found that each one of them in the course of the early course of the conversation, like they could tell that I like uh, was really genuinely interested in their work and in this company and they crack open at a certain point in, in the interview. Yeah. I don't mean, I don't mean well, that that's good report. I mean, that's good interviewing too, but I, I think also, yeah, you can tell right. When some you're like, I'm not out here trying to do right, gotcha right. journalism. Like I'm going to tell the story fairly, but also I'm not here to just be like, Let's take these guys. Right. And down. most of these you know, people like that wasn't your mentality to history anyway. So it's like your your story's never getting told unless you tell it to me right. now. Like I, I don't I'd be very surprised if another book about J. Crew bothers to get written at this point, unless it's like something very dramatic happens down the end. So down the line. So this is the story. Like this is it. And they Yeah. And people were thrilled to tell it. You know, people from the Emily era in particular really wanted to set the record straight that there was a J crew before Jen Alliance. Not no no shade on Jenna, but just sort of like No. There was this But like yeah. we were here. Yeah. We did and this. the company was this. a force in pop culture long before yeah, the Jenna Alliance a- era. So they were they were thrilled to talk about that and it was fun to talk to them. I I can understand that instinct because they're like, no, we did something like, I mean, it certainly impacted my life in a huge way and like my aesthetic to this day to some point, you know, like, and I would want people to know that too. It's like, you know, when you're like, hey, kids, like, yeah, things existed before you, you know, like songs and and fandoms and, you know, there was a a cult of J. Crew before there was a cult of Jenna and- um, I think it, it's so I really loved reading that. And again, it, it made me nostalgic for my own youth, too. And like, that's why I love there's a this Instagram. That's yeah, like yeah, Lost that's J. amazing. And that, that's that's run oh. by a form like I've, anybody could tell that that's run by a former yeah. longtime J. Crew employee. And I, what's almost more fun than the image to me images to me is reading all the captions because it's followed by oh, this whole yes. thriving. I mean, there's. God, who knows how many people have worked for J. Crew? Thousands at this point. So, like, everybody has a story to tell about these images. I love reading that. And I, oh, it was actually, it didn't me too. start until I was well on my way to having like an edited 
or, or like yeah. a, an early version of the manuscript. But I actually lost J. Crew was like a great tool for me, you know? Like I followed the the, oh. the captions into some of the stories that are in the book. Thank you. Yeah, lost that's J. amazing. Crew. I mean, I have to yeah, I have to stop myself from like reposting every single thing they do in, in my stories. But I guess, okay, so I think we should talk about the cult Let's of Jenna, do it. though, because that obviously is like a huge moment. And and that's what's funny. It's like, you know, I didn't know anyone who was working there then. Obviously, I was like a teen or a college student or whatever. But I do know people, I do know some people who worked in the in the Mickey and right. Jenna era. So that's Mickey Drexler and Jenna Lyons um, when J. Crew reemerged like it felt like an explosion it really did like from the outside like and working in like in 2009 I was editing fashionista.com so like it was like yeah. right there and then I was at Marie Claire Digital like after you know from like in like 2011 you know it was that moment being in New York in the fashion world it felt like a shooting star like came yeah. out of nowhere yeah. so totally how do you like, or I don't know if there's a question in there, but like, what, what did you find surprising? What, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's just, we hadn't seen a superstar like Jenna Lyons in ever That's out of the a thing. like the that. The more I thought about Jenna Lyons in the process of writing this book, the more fascinating I found her, not just as a human being, but as a phenomenon. I think she's like, yeah, first of all, I think she is. I don't know. Could you call her this now? Like, I'd love to know your thoughts, but like certainly at her peak, she was one of, if not the most important woman in American fashion, like right underneath, like, absolutely. I mean, so you have Anna and nothing ever touches Anna Wintour, but like, if you look into like the next echelon down from Anna Wintour, like who's highly visible, high, extremely powerful, influential, changing the way we actually dress. Who is that? It's, and has name recognition and, like yeah. everywhere. Like that was not just in New York. Like she was most certainly probably one of the most famous people in New right. York City right. in that time. But like you didn't in the Midwest, in wherever, you know, like everybody knew who Jenna It's Lyons a totally was. unique like, phenomenon. Everybody. So like you're asking, I think you said like what surprised. I think that surprised me because I hadn't nailed that idea before I started the book like and the more that I thought about it the more yes she has the crossover because she has become a Vogue person she's invited to the Met Ball she's uh, like a figure on fixture on every red carpet in town but then every woman shopping in the mall in middle America knew her name too and that's that's crazy because those people don't know the names of I don't know. I'm trying to think. I mean, I guess they probably know Donna Karen. They know. Um, but, but that's yeah. the brand yes, name, exactly, right? Like exactly. the eponymous. It's like, you know, Michael, they know Michael Kors, but like, and Donna and Calvin, you know, but it's like, they, no one knew who was like, you know, and he, I mean, it even brought in like an era of like, I was thinking of like when Patrick Robinson started totally, designing at the Gap, totally. you know, like it was like, you know, that was like the Jenna effect to some degree. Like we, I never thought about it even as a, you know, as a fashion editor, you might, but like outside of that, like no one is thinking about who designs the stuff that's at right. the mall. Exactly. And like, there was an assumption, I think historically that people wouldn't care, you know, that like, like who's going right. to care who's designing Ann Taylor clothes. Right. But Jenna does. So 
This is my theory that I build in the book. I just think that she is this weird amalgam, uh, this unusual amalgam of qualities that makes her like a, a supernova, right? Because she is very unguarded and and seemingly very mm -hmm. open and also very vulnerable about her difficult childhood. She has this um, genetic disorder that causes yeah um problems with her hair her hair skin her teeth you know and but at the same time none of these flaws are visible to the naked eye because she is incredibly striking and i mean tall, like tall. wildly tall <laughs> so tall and built like a number two pencil and like looks amazing in clothes and so like you've got this weird push pull of her being like confessional like in the um in the lena dunham era like being this like confessional woman in fashion which we had never seen before never but then also never. being like as gorgeous and um sort of untouchable in terms of her actual look as any other you know real fashion superstar so i just feel like that's i, I don't know what that combination is pretty powerful um, yeah. and I don't think J crew, uh, banked on that, you know, like they decided to make Jenna, but really they just, and, and what I mean by that is like, it was a corporate decision to put Jenna at the forefront of their PR and marketing campaigns. And I yes. mean, it wasn't a fluke, right? They were like, should we do this? We want people to know that these clothes are designed. There's a quote unquote designer, we have this designer. She's great. She wears the clothes better than anyone. Let's let's share her with the people. They never, yeah, no one there ever thought, wow, this woman's going to catch on like wildfire and she's going to become a larger than life phenomenon. But this is something I think I referenced earlier. Like it was the era of the blog. You know, there was like a whole other yeah. kind of media just standing by ready to build a Jenna and latch on to a Jenna. Um, like you were working. And with clothes that people right. could buy, like, you know, and that was the other, it was like all those things combined. It's like a perfect storm of like, it, it really, cause I mean, when you think about those early bloggers, I mean, even the way, the way fashionista was as a website, then it right. was like a blog. Right. Like it wasn't, it's now like a media company, you know, but like we sat in a room and it was three niche <laughs> blogs and it was um, above the law, which was about like covered like big law and deal breaker, which covered the financial industry and fashionista, which covered fashion from an inside perspective. Like it was, I mean, we had illustrations and drawings and we draw on magazine like layouts and stuff. Like I didn't, that was not <laughs> something I was good at at all. Brit. <laughs> um, oh, that's, Brit, I, right. They, mm -hmm. Yeah, Brit, Abu Talib. And so, and then there were all these, you know, the bloggers we were covering, you know, like Sea of Shoes and Tavi and, you know, you talk about them in the book, like, it's so interesting. And then you didn't have to be a rich girl to right. wear these clothes right. and to style them like Jenna was And Jenna really them. can it, make- It felt so like fresh work day everyday clothes look like look like next level i mean it has like on her it has it does have a lot to do with her stature i mean yeah. she's built yes. like a she looks like a fashion sketch she doesn't even look like a human being yeah and so yeah it's unreal I mean, she's like yeah. six feet yeah. tall right like at least and and yeah. not a shoe yeah and then she yeah. wore heels so like so i yeah. mean 
I, I just think she blew up. And this is something that, you know, it's going to become even more timely again. Because as we know, she's about to be a, or she's filming now say, to be on. Do you watch Housewives? Right, well, I feel like I should lie and say that I do, but I don't. No, but I'm don't definitely planning on it now. <laughs> well, the I good mean, news I have, is but this I'm is not a like whole a new cast. Right. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, this is a whole new cast, so it's like a fresh reboot. And I got to see what – I mean, I think a lot of people who either never watched or who might have, like, yeah. fallen off are like, I got to see Jenna Lyons is doing Real Housewives in New York. Like, we so got to see what this is about. So what do you think about it? Which, which, you know, I know you'll you'll opine. Tell me what you I think th- of her decision to do it. I, th- I think it's – I mean, I'm fascinated by it. I – I wonder, I just, and, and also I was thinking about it, obviously it's coming up, right? And then I'm reading the book and reading. And so there's obviously a part of her that it's, it would seem like she likes the spotlight, right? But she's also seen this really negative side of it. I mean, she was outed by yeah, the New York yeah. Post. And, and then she wrote that essay about that. And I would highly recommend anyone read that. But, you know, she's like... And then even like, you know, leaving the company and, you know, from a professional standpoint, having like that kind of press. And then she did try to do that other reality yeah. show. Did you watch it? Um, which I didn't think was I watched it. I didn't think it was great, but yeah. I liked her. She's still yeah. very compelling. Like you want to and I do still want to see like, what is she wearing? Like, what is what is her living? Oh, 100 percent. Like? like, you know, all of that. So. I'm just like. I, and maybe she's just like, fuck it. I'm just going to have some fun with it. Like, this is what I want to do now. I, I I can't put my finger on why she'd want to put herself out there like that in in a housewife's yeah. way. Because it can get so – listen, I love the housewives. I love the housewives. I love seeing – I one thing I love about the housewives is you get women of a certain age that you don't see mm-hmm. often on mm-hmm. your television in reality or – you know, narrative, like it's, it's great. And I do think that's actually something important that Bravo does with these shows is like, you can be 60 and be on housewives and like, you're not like put Except out. To you'll look 37. You're, no you're just technically 60. You will because you, you are 60, but I don't know. There's something like, it's the high low yeah. of Jenna though. I think like it's the high low and like, I don't like calling things guilty pleasures because I think if you have fun watching it and you're not hurting anybody, then like have at it, read, do yeah. whatever you want, you know, as long as it's not like hateful content. But I, I don't know because I'm just like, and also because it's all new people. So I have nothing to be like, oh, I feel like she's going to like that person, like from a, a oh, past right. past. It's all <laughs> gaming it out. Yeah. It's none of these people. Yeah. None of like, because there are like mm-hmm. alliances and things, but. I don't know. I I can't put my finger on it, but I'm like gonna watch well, every. My second personal of it. take on it is: um, thank you, Jenna Lyons, for choosing to do Real Housewives of New York right when I chose to write a book about your whole backstory. So that is yes. a number one. Thank, thank you. Thank you. That is solid. Kismet. Solid move <laughs> on your part, Jenna Lyons. Um. Secondly, I. You know, okay, so I talked to so many people who worked with Jenna, and I have interviewed Jenna, and I did get quotes from her for the book and blah, blah, blah. But um, again, it's a book that takes a somewhat critical eye at of J. Crew and of decisions that were made within J. Crew. So, you know, I could, I'm 
probably a gnat on her or I'm a I'm I'm an irritant sure. to her at this point. But um I I think some people who used to work with her are like, is this a midlife crisis? Like, what is happening? Is is there right. a breakdown? But to me, I actually do think it makes sense. I think it makes sense because I think she was too big of a personality to get the kind of fashion job that she thought she was going to be offered after leaving J. Crew. Yeah, those offers she has been very vocal did not come come in. Um, even after her, which is kind of crazy, you know, like I, it's kind of wild. But you then you when you peel back the layers, you're like, right. I get it. Like, you know, it's not necessarily fair, but I get where company. I do think she's from. phenomenally um, talented. So I just I think it's a shame in a way. But I I I think she saw that that if she wanted to like maintain herself and her position in the industry and not just like go off to her yeah. country house and do some projects for people here like consult like she had to do something big again like you're saying she tried the hbo show i actually did like the hbo show but it felt like they were really wedging in the reality competition element that's that's what i didn't like the competition i'm like can we just talk about great style because she's got great style like i'm i mean i get that that doesn't work in a format but anyway it did feel like so the HBO show was trying to be high and lowbrow at the same time, right? They were trying to do highbrow yeah. style while using all the tropes of like lowbrow fashion competitions. And that kind of didn't right. work. And so, I mean, they didn't renew it. So I'm assuming it didn't work. So, no. And it didn't create right. a buzz that you would have maybe thought from like, this is the first thing Jenna Lyons has done in a long time, like publicly facing and it didn't it didn't generate a lot of buzz. So, I don't know. I think this offer came along. <laughs> what do I know? But I think this offer came along. And I wonder if she did feel like there was some benefit to being uh, to the LGBTQ plus community for her yeah. being on air uh queer woman in fashion. Yeah. Well, and it's not I mean, she's just like a one of one in so many ways. That way and also like They've never had anyone that high profile. Yeah, somebody who's like being on this show. Um, Like, like she's like, like I even remember when like Tinsley was on. Like, and I was like, she was a real deal socialite. Like, I'm like, she was a girl about town in that era of like the socialite era of New York. Like Tins, yeah. I mean, socialite rank. (laughs) Come on, socialite rank was like the. but like I was like she was a real deal like she was at every party but but she was right. a socialite like Jenna was a powerhouse designer executive did it, you know like I mean I, they've never had anyone of her stature queer or otherwise on this show so I think there's a lot of layers to that and I think like and I was like I think she's like I don't want to say grasping at relevancy because that's not the right thing but I think wanting to maintain a relevancy in the culture is not a bad no. thing and not something to be like looked down on in any it's, way. But it's not a very, f- hmm. I was going to say it's not a fashion thing. That's not true. Obviously the very core of fashion is trying to maintain relevance no matter right what happens, but doing it in a, like a lowbrow way is 
the opposite. So I mean, what I was thinking is like, yeah, it's is she it's going wild. to the Met? It's a wild. In May? Like, was does she still get to keep her membership card to like the <laughs> the A list? I, I I mean, I, I don't know. It's kind of can't cut her off because it would be too obvious. I'm just kind of curious. She's always said yeah. that Anna Winter. I I'm really. This is unprofessional. I am being unprofessional. But she's always said that. <laughs> I love it. That's what I love. Anna Wintour um, <laughs> was the one who like sat her down and was like, after she left J. Crew, was like, you're you're good on TV. You should do TV. Like, that's what you should do next. You should not try to be the next. Like, you should not try, try to take over Ralph Lauren, for example, who really needs a successor. Right. Um, but. Um, Seriously. Let's, let's get that other podcast. Going. But um Yeah. <laughs> so like Anna, you know, it, did Anna bless her being a real housewife? Is that how far things have gone in terms of changing and the industry changing? Like, Maybe. That's amazing. Maybe. And so Which is wild <laughs> to think about too. You know, mm. like I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Like that it was it was nice to relive those those happy the happy times of that moment. And like, and uh, I've heard definitely some stories about Mickey in my day too. And I, uh, Mickey and I, I love that you had Godfather of Soul. Did you used to go to Soul Cycle Mickey? Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. We were both Lori Cole people. So he was in, I was uh, in at Soul Cycle front row with Mickey like all the time. So I have it right, right? This is like a friend of mine who used to work with him is like, and they called him the godfather of soul. Oh, 100%. And he was always front row and he rode Lori all the time. And I... I'm always like, I always call myself like a fitness monogamous. I had like, I was like, I'm a Lori and Janet person. They were two of the original like soul instructors too. They both still teach. Um, But he was a Lori person and like out East and in Tribeca. And yeah. So I would see Mickey all the time. And then I also made me think of, well, cause I would just hear about the intercoms. Did he wear the little tiny shorts? Um... I'm trying Can't to think really if he wore like that. a. He might have worn a sh- biking <laughs> short, but he also might have worn okay. like a running okay. tight, you know, right. kind of thing. Um, I probably <laughs> just didn't look at his list. <laughs> but I also was remembering this like Madewell, because you get into like talking a little bit about Madewell too, which I was really into Madewell for a minute. But there was a Madewell like editor's trip to oh. the Hamptons. And then like Mickey came by to like have a drink with us, and everyone was like, How did you get to chatting with Mickey? I'm like, soul cycle man because i was i was deep in the cult deep in the cult in like 2010 2011 2012 like i was going like five times i was psychotic and i was like my whole personality is soul like one of those people so yeah yeah, i mean mickey drexler is i think it's probably deeply ironic to him that jenna became the face and um embodiment of j crew because Mickey has always been the biggest star at any other place that Mickey has worked. And he was the biggest star at J crew yes. until they really like amped up Jenna's profile. He is, he is a person who um, enjoys the spotlight as much, if not more than Jenna herself. Yeah. And um, he's a legendary retailer um, who made the gap into like the tremendous phenomenon uh, that it was in the eighties when like by the time he at the gaps height in the eighties, they were opening one store somewhere on earth every single day. Like 
That's there. Insane. And I remember even as a kid, like walking around and there would be like, like walking around New York because I partly lived in New York when I was growing up. Like, and there would be like a gap on three corners of the same inner, you know, there was like, it, it yeah. was just, it was everywhere. I mean, at the, at its height, height as a company, I'm counting that one store every day. I'm counting in that like uh, Old Navy and Banana Republic, which they off also. Yeah, owned. sure. But, I mean, so sure. he's coming from the biggest retail company. I'm pretty sure, like that was ever known, right? And by and he came to J Crew in 2003. The company was in dire straits at that point because the founding, um whatever. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but they were not in a good place. And he totally turned the company around like radically. You explain it very well for someone who isn't like a numbers and business (laughs) brain. It was all very, very well explained. I had to learn a lot about finance, like to write this, you know, I I, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) which I have heard before. But I was like, oh, yeah, I don't like, I'm always just like numbies. Like, that's why I was like a writer. Like, get the spreadsheets out of here. We didn't want to deal with those. But yeah, you explained it all very well. But the company was in a, it was in a bind, bind. like a financial bind. And he saved, he saved J. Crew. Um, Really, he did. Um, And he was the one who very early on, you know, Jenna had been like kind of in the trenches at J. Crew for a long time, but, um, he within the first few days of being there kind of identified her as a standout not as oh this is the future of the company you know he didn't it wasn't some kind of like mythical thing but he he saw her early on and her talent and he was the one who um really was like pushing pushing her to the top all those years yeah i mean he allowed her to like uh not allowed but you know like he he set up he was like okay go with your go with your instinct like my instinct about you is that you should right. go with your instincts <laughs> right. you know right like, and um I, I don't know they really were this dream team um in terms of like the creative and the business um that was really unique um and and probably explained why j crew really hit like you were talking about how it just like took off like a rocket. Oh eight, oh nine, twenty ten, and yeah. it was it was both of them like in the fast lane together, yeah. driving driving that success. It seemed like they worked yeah. well together. Like it didn't feel like a combative relationship that so often is like the right. church and state, like right. you know, battle. I was also thinking about that presentation at Fashion Week where Beyonce showed up. And it was a presentation, and I had just been right before Do you, Beyonce you went to it, up. right? And did you yeah, hear yeah, later yeah. that Beyonce had been, like was that? That was like people were shocked. Yeah. This is we're talking about because it wasn't a show; it was a presentation. So <laughs> for a mall brand, so just so people know, I mean, like, yeah, like in a, in a presentation, you can come by. It's not like a they're walking the runway at a set time. So you come and you look at the models, and there's a lot of presentations at Fashion Week that aren't proper full runway shows so I had like gone by because you you know the schedule in your day and you're hitting like a ton of shows and then like news starts to trickle out that like fucking Beyonce showed up at J. Crew which is insane and you I mean again this is inside baseball but I think people like hearing about this like securing celebrities for the front row or to attend your fashion week party or your show your presentation 
is a whole right. operation right. unto you and itself. You, like companies employ SWAT teams just for that. Just, just for to do that. that. And they <laughs> like, pour they- tens of thousands of dollars into either the the pocket of the celebrity or the charity that the celebrity like i mean the money yes. is exchanged for that and in this case yes j crew really should have known <laughs> that what they had on their hands with jenna because she did have this like crazy magical touch right she just happened to have become yeah. friends with solange beyonce's sister and so and she invited solange to the show and solange goes sure can i bring my sister and who, by the way, also on top of everything else, was pregnant with Blue Ivy. So, like, not, yeah, not like that's a get. Very pregnant, visibly pregnant, Beyonce. Yeah, I mean, this was a while ago, but it was still fucking Beyonce. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're still talking about like she is not at the. I mean, now she's like yeah. on some. She's other not going to J plane, but like, <laughs> no, but she. I mean, but that. Yeah. But even then, you didn't yeah. think she was going to go to like she was that big then that you didn't think she was going to a J Crew right. presentation. And I remember, like, I mean, the fashion. Like, we were all like, "What? I know like, what." And then, like, were you there? Were you there when Beyonce came? Were you there when Beyonce? I will came? say to Jenna's credit, like Amazing. she's very humble about these things, and she was just. I think. I think it's true that she was just as. Um, starstruck as the rest of them, as as anybody else. Yeah, but and I loved that. Like one of the stylists, I think I spoke with, told me that they when they would stay up late to get ready for like a presentation or a big, like they would blast Beyonce in the studio all night. So like, you know, I yeah. I really loved. To me, a lot of the story is told from like the employees I view, you know, like not like I definitely have spoken with many executives, but I found. Sure. um, Some of the most compelling stories came from, you know, people you've never heard of who worked in the guts of the company. And I loved their perspective, like their very human perspective, which is like, well, it's also how are people really treated? You know, like, like, and also, yeah, this is another thing about J. Crew in New York in that era, 20, early 2010s. Um, is that it was a phenomenon in fashion or like in retail. I don't know if you want to call it fashion. I think we could call it American fashion. Um, I mean, there's like such people make cut such a distinction between like capital F fashion and like clothes. Yeah. But, um, what was I going to say that I think within J crew, they really felt like their shit don't stink. You know, like they worked for the, it was like yeah. a hot, hot company to work for. And like, oh, there was, yeah. You could not have made a comparison between, at that point, between J. Crew and any other company in their category, right? It was, it was possible Absolutely to feel not. as if it was a company that didn't have competition because, like, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was one exactly. of one. It other was like one of were one. making Absolutely. chinos and button downs and all the things that J. Crew made, but it, you, you couldn't have compared them to J. Crew, so I mean, Mm-mm. I think when J. Crew really crashed, that was like a comeuppance on so many levels. Because how could that happen yeah. to them? You know, like they they found themselves suddenly that they were competing. They had no competition for such a long time in a weird way. I mean, of course they did. Everybody has competition, but spiritually there was no competition. Sure. 
And then yeah. they he, they reach this point where they're being outdone by everybody and nothing they do is working, you know, in by 2017. It's wild and it felt like it happened yeah. so fast. It like it, it yeah. burned out, like it burned out like a shooting star. And it's it's so interesting. And obviously the industry changed and all these different things, but it really it really did hit at that time. And and you could really get excited about stuff like I even think about. Like when you just said like that they were so the employees being so excited, like, of course. Right. But I also remember that was like nascent days of like social media. Right. So like you'd be like this famous person just like tweeted Marie Claire and we'd be like so excited because that was like it's and and you say a few times in the book, there are things where it seems like commonplace now. But like in 2010, this is not something that was happening, you know, you know. And that's, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was, it wasn't that long ago, but like the culture has moved so fast and things that seem every day now were like, that's just not what that was like. And like, even, you know, the Michelle Obama stuff, and we don't have to get into all the detail because I think people, you know, like I was loving that inside spin on like, if you hadn't really like been into the like lore of Jenna Lyons, like people just know but like knowing that they just watched it on tv and we're like oh my god she's (laughs) in the stuff we sent you know like it's like that's kind of how that stuff works too like you don't know if it's gonna get shot or like they open the doors to the car and sasha and malia are in the coats like and she's got the gloves on you know like i can only imagine the rush of adrenaline that must have felt like for every person at that company right down right every level you know to be like wait what and then I thought you also made a really interesting point about so J crew had also it meant so white right for and and that somehow that just band-aided over for a little while stuff that they didn't have to actually address for a minute for a minute like not and because it was a band it was just a you know it, it didn't get into the core of everything but it was that was really interesting and I kind of hadn't thought of that because so J crew had right meant so white. For it really a long, did. It for a I long mean, I time. felt like I couldn't write about this brand, especially in the period of time when I was writing about it, without really addressing that. Because sure. I think that that's a reason why I, on some level, on some unexamined level for a really long time, I was somewhat ambivalent about J. Crew. I used I I wore it all the time. It was like a real staple for me during my like 20s and 30s, yeah. like just like a go to place to get clothes and good clothes. But I think yes. like I never yes. wanted to be identified as like a J. Crew person personally. And you're shaking your head. Neither did no. you. Right. Because we kind of no. knew what that meant. And I, this is not to, this is not yeah. to throw shade and I was on like, I'm not, any of those yeah. people, but like, I no. don't want to be, um, I, preppy. Like I didn't want to be thought of as preppy. I fancied myself more right, eclectic right. than that. Like I fancied myself and which is why I think I was very drawn to the that 90s minimalist stuff, which was not preppy, right. real like fun, like a lot of that stuff wasn't like, but I was like, no, I'm right. not a prep. Like I wouldn't, I, I would have taken that, especially in my youth. And now, I mean, no, I don't think anyone would have described like it's you're just like, oh no, I'm not one of those prep. Which girls. I think Jenna did beautifully. Like she made J. Crew yes. a version where it was obviously drawing on its preppy roots, but you could wear it without feeling like you were wearing vineyard vines, right? Like it 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 was a totally yes, different exactly. thing. But 
It felt fresh and modern. What you and, were yeah. referencing earlier about the Obama era is that, which I talk about in the book, is that first of all, when Michelle Obama started wearing J. Crew, which we all remember that she did that, it really changed the fortunes of the company. But it also changed the associations of the company for much for yeah. the better because one of the style a J. Crew stylist that I spoke with did say like straight up, um, yeah. We hated it in the '90s because um, there was no denying that Jake, like being so J. Crew, was a way of saying so someone was so white. And like in even in like yeah. I loved this, but like in very very early dating sites, if somebody described themselves as being yes, so I loved J. Crew, you basically that was a way of saying you were really waspy and like a good good guy or a good yes. girl, like clean cut. But you know, also yes. of saying like very Cape Coddy, like you just knew what that meant. Mm -hmm. And even, yep. I recently saw like not that long ago during the time when I was reading the, or writing the book, I, I read uh, a newspaper article about an event and they described the crowd as so J crew. And it was so funny to me because I was like, God, that taken out of the context of my book and this research and everything else, I still know exactly what that means. And it means they were so white. And so preppy, both. Yeah, but and but so preppy. So yeah. The point that I make in the book is that when Michelle Obama adopted J. Crew, really she did. I mean, she wore it more. I mean, she wore a lot of brands and she moved a lot of fashion. That woman drove bottom yes. lines for a lot of companies during her um, during his pres presidencies. But um, I guess you would call it presidency. But anyway, during the two terms. Um, two terms. <laughs> two terms. Um, but, you know, she allowed J. Crew to be the brand, the house brand of the first black family. And J. Crew really didn't have to yeah. work for that. <laughs> That's the thing. I really nope. felt like she gave them a free pass for a while into like, look, they looked, yeah. J. Crew looked like it was part of this progressive future. Um, and basically they got there by having great clothes, but by luck, you know, not by any right. declaration by the yeah. brand of its politics, not by making the catalog, especially, um, multicultural, like not, or diverse, like they, they kind of didn't yeah. actively progress, but the Obamas adopted them, and so they kind of landed in that spot. I don't know. Did I? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I. It's interesting, and I mean, when you think back, and you're just like, man, Michelle Obama wore so much J. Crew. It's kind of yeah, really wild. Um, how much she wore, but oh, I, I know. I'm sorry. Like a thousand hours. I need to let you get on. With I'm your, so uh, long winded. Life. I know this you was forever. No, that's. This is what this whole show is, is like, because I'm long winded and like here, you know, like, um, okay. So tell everybody when the book comes out and are you doing like social media? Like, do you want people oh, yes. on social media? I don't know. I Let really them know. do. So the book comes out, um, March 7th, 2023. Um, and it'll be sold wherever books are sold. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, it would be great if people followed me on social media. Um, I'm at Maggie Bullock. It's so easy. Um, that's my handle. So, so easy. Um, 
And thank you, Abby. I'm really grateful that you yeah, no, had I'm me so, and took the time to read the book. Such, <laughs> oh my gosh. I really loved it so much. And I told a few of my friends who were oh, former nice. J. Crew employees, I was like, you guys are going to love this book. Like both of them pre-ordered nice, it already. Nice. So I'm like, they're, cause I'm like, I can't wait for you guys to read it and then filter in a little color I know. commentary. Well, this like, is, oh, oh, anybody out there listening, like this is an interesting an unexpected um, thing that's happening now the book is coming closer to being in the world um, is that people are coming out of the woodwork with their own J. Crew stories where I'm like, do I need to update the, the, um, the paperback? Like, I don't even know what to do, but I love it because like so Maybe. much gossip is coming out of the woodwork. Um, luckily it has all, I feel like there's yeah. going to be a really interesting it's going to be conversation ongoing, around right? it from fashion people, employees, like all kinds. It's going to yeah, be really I hope. cool, I think. Because people, to your point, like the employees, like they wanted to talk about it once they started talking. And like, I wanted to talk to you about this. Like, I want to talk about it with my friends. We have that. It is a, a place where a lot of people. I know. Isn't that funny? It, but right? it is. About this brand. Is. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's okay to have strong feelings about a brand personally. <laughs> and if you want to talk about your strong brand feelings, listen, I'm, I'm your girl. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm I'm Gen X. Like some stuff just know, got baked in. Like we've, you know, the capitalism I got know. baked in real early. I'm okay with it. <laughs> it's okay. I'm fine. It's fine. Well, I'm so excited. I'm I think you might have to do like in another know. edition. Like you might have like updated and stuff, which is very that could be really cool. Um, but I'm sure right now I hope you just enjoy <laughs> the time you. and like I'm sure it'll be hectic, but I'm so excited for you. And I'm Me so too. To I really do appreciate it. it Thanks, magazine, fellow magazine uh, nerd. Nope. <laughs> we will always be magazine <laughs> nerds and I will be right back. Thank you so much to Maggie. That was a blast. I could talk about J. Crew forever and ever. Everyone should follow Maggie on Instagram and get a copy of her book, The Kingdom of Prep. It is it is such such an interesting read, so much fun. And I think you'll just find a lot to relate to in it. Um it's just really well done. I'm super impressed. And if you want more We Have Notes, if you want to talk more Vanderpump Rules or J. Crew, Jen Alliance, any of it, uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter, wehavenotes.substack.com. Free uh, subscribers get something every Friday and sometimes other days. Like the Saturday, the first post I sent out on Saturday morning about about the pump rule stuff uh, also for everybody. And then there is a paid subscription option where you get even more content, et cetera, et cetera. So check that out. And you can follow me at Abby C. Gardner on Instagram at we have notes on Instagram. I'm at Abby Gardner on Twitter and at we have notes on TikTok. Um, until next week, A, just talk to me about Vanderpump Rules any and every time you want to. I am available. Like, honestly, I was afraid to go to sleep this weekend because I didn't know what I was going to miss. Uh, I would also love to hear some of your, like, 
iconic J. Crew moments in your own life. Like we all have, I think we all have um, pieces that we remember very fondly. Um, so I love hearing about that stuff too. And yeah, until then, um, I hope everything stays great. Thank you so much for listening. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you so desire, that is always very helpful. And I'm really grateful. And share the podcast or the newsletter with a friend who you think might might enjoy as well. And yeah, I appreciate all of you. And I'll talk to you soon. 